I want you to know I've been looking forward to this moment for several weeks. Mostly. And what I mean by mostly is I'm nervous about this. Let me tell you why I am. I think this is a really important subject and I don't want to mess it up. If it were so that those who take the positions I do on the Holy Spirit believe that they were somehow inspired of God, I wouldn't make any mistakes. Uh, I'd have all my grammar correct, and I would never mess up a chart. So you're going to see pretty soon probably I won't be very successful with the charts. And I will warn you, uh, I'm, I'm a little more chart-bound and and probably even note-bound than I'm, I'm normally used to because there's a lot of material that we need to go through and, and I want to I be able to keep it before me and in my mind as I disseminate it to you. You might ask the question, are you going to answer all of our questions? I'm going to tell you, brethren, I can't even answer all my questions. But if you have questions when we're done with the series or done with the lesson, I'll do my best uh, to, to say what I can say about those things. So I just ask you to be patient with me. The lesson tonight will serve as our introductory lesson. And I think we have to put a chart up already. We're just going to talk about the nature of the Holy Spirit this evening, and you may know everything I'm going to say tonight, or I may say some things to you that you have not studied before or not thought about before, or at least put together the way I'm going to try to put them together this evening. But I think it's a very important subject, and I think it's an often neglected subject. I've kind of, over the last several weeks, uh, and I'll just tell you, I, 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 when you, the brethren here asked me whether Carl called me and said, will you talk on this subject? I said, yeah, I love to talk on that subject, and I really do. I really do like to talk on that subject. But every time I talk on it, I, I get back in and study some more and look at it some more and, and think some more. So a lot of the stuff I'm going to say this weekend is things that even my brethren over on the uh, west side have not heard. They've heard some of it, but they've not heard all of what we're going to say. I hope that you'll imbibe the things I have to say, that you'll think about them. Uh, and, and I'm not even going to ask you to agree with everything that I say. I'm just going to ask you to think about the things I have to say and see if I've handled the, uh, the Word of God in, in a right way, in, in a proper way. I, I want to start this evening by talking about certain misconceptions of the Holy Spirit. And the first one is, is it's very popular to refer to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Ghost. And there's a reason for that. And the reason for that is uh, that's the way it is translated into the King James Bible. And in and, and, and no way do I mean to denigrate anybody using that. In fact, I kind of take offense when people say, uh, well, the, the, the King James Bible just isn't quite adequate. I, I, I disagree with that. I don't necessarily use it all the time, but I'll just tell you, I cut my teeth on the King James Bible, and you'll probably hear me slip into that as I quote passages uh, from time to time. But, but 
but it does introduce some misleading ideas about the Holy Spirit himself by, by translating it the Holy, Holy Ghost. And one of the things is that it does is that it's, it just kind of creates in people's minds something that is not really real. It's, it's fictitious. And, uh, and uh, like it's some kind of mystical or magical being. And I, I think of it uh, this way, think uh, in terms of Hollywood-type special effects. On the way to uh, church last uh, Sunday morning, and I don't, know, don't even know what caused that, but uh, above the highway was a, a, a mist like a fog, but not quite like a fog, just a, a, a mist. And I joked with my wife, and I said, that is a spirit. That is a ghost. And she said, no, it isn't, and get that out of your head. <laughs> but, but it just appeared there for a few moments, and then it was gone. And that's sometimes the way people think in terms of, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it makes it difficult to think of the Holy Spirit as a real being. So I hope by the time we're done our lesson this evening that we will see the Holy Spirit as a real being and not only as a real being, but as he truly is, as, as being God and one of the Godhead uh, for us to talk about. Sometimes we see the Holy Spirit as somehow different than other members of the Godhead. And, uh, it's, and, and he's somehow inferior to God the Father and even some, somehow inferior to God the Son. So we create a hierarchy, so to speak, uh, among the Godhead itself. God the Father, then God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit. By the way, feel free to take notes. Feel free to try to keep up with me on passages but you probably won't be able to do that. So if you want these notes or charts afterwards, you can just ask the brethren, and uh, I'm, I'm glad for you to have them. Um, so this is sometimes our idea. It is that God the Father is somehow over the Son, as in superior to the Son, who is over the Holy Spirit, as in superior to the Holy Spirit. Now, we want to challenge that thinking a little bit this evening. We, we want to challenge it from a biblical perspective. Um, and, and sometimes we think of it uh, as the Son and the Holy Spirit are subordinate because of some uh, perceived inferiority to, to the Father. So, so we'll, we'll, as I said, we'll, we'll try to challenge that a little bit. And, and the first thing I'm just going to say is God is God. And that's how we need to see it, that, that God is God. And there are no degrees of being God. So the Father is not a little bit more God and the Holy Spirit is a little bit less God. It, it doesn't work that way. Uh, and all members of the Godhead are equal in being and in power. Now, we're going to talk about this some more, but I just want to couch it in saying, let's just think about the creation. And we're going to talk quite a bit about the creation this evening, not all the details that we find in, in Genesis 1 and 2 and then various other places in the Scripture, but about the creation itself. Who did the creation? Who was involved in the creation? And when we look at those things, we're going to see that all members of the Godhead were involved in the creation and they were equal in power in what they were able to do and what, and what they did do. 
the Holy Spirit is equal to the Son, and, and the Son is equal to the Father. I'm sure there'll be questions in your mind where you say, well, what about the Father? What about the Son? What about the Holy Spirit? We're not really trying to disseminate that this evening. We're not truly trying to, under, uh, to, to explain all that. But it, 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 I'm not trying to keep you from asking the question. That's not really the purpose of what we're trying to, to accomplish this evening. But, uh, but we will address some of that in our lesson. Here's a neat chart. Um, and I'll tell you, I thought I came up with that chart. And then I find it everywhere. So I, I, I do believe that I, in studying, said this is the way this works out. Oh, I don't mean this particular chart. I mean this concept that I, I did that and, and uh, I had that idea. But then I said, you know, the good thing about that is, brethren, a lot of people have seen this very same point. And, and you can, in fact, if you Google that, I'm sure it'll come up with, you know, uh, 30,000 in two-tenths of a second or something. <laughs> that kind of thing will come. But you see the importance of this chart. What we see in the chart is that in the center block, we're talking about God. We're talking about deity. And what we see is, is the Father is God. And the Holy Spirit is God. And the Son is God. But the Father is not the Son. And the Son is not the Spirit. And, this, and the Spirit is not the Father. But all these passages point to each one of these being God. So we don't have a lesser or more God there. These characters, uh, characteristics are ascribed to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Now, let me suggest to you this evening that we cannot accept the Holy Spirit as a lesser God. He, he's not a lesser God in some way. Um, and and I'm, I'm going to change directions just a little bit because I want you to focus on that idea by seeing how sometimes others do the similar thing to Jesus Christ. For instance, the Jehovah's Witnesses try to do this with Christ. And what they do in their translation, and, and you know I put that in... Uh, in quotes, because there's some real serious questions about uh, it being actually a translation at all. And, and I'm, I'm not here to talk about that this evening, but I also don't want you to think, I think that's a legitimate translation. We just have, translation we just have a little bit of difficulty with it, in, in this particular passage. I have a lot of problems in a lot of different passages, but what they do uh, in John uh, chapter 1 in verse 1 um, is and first I want you to see the New King James in that and, and it's very similar. If I had a long time to talk this evening I would tell you about a personal experience I had about looking for uh, a, another translation that translated it the same way that the New World Translation does it. If you want to know about that and you remember ask me afterwards and I'll tell you that. But what we find is, is in the, in the New King James, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And this is representative of every major and accepted translation that I know of. The Word was God. But this is what the New World Translation says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, you see that? Was a God. 
And this change, this change makes Christ a lesser entity in the Godhead. And that may begin to build that idea of some sort of inferiority in relationship to the Father. Now, I'll just tell you, that's exactly what they intend with this. I'm not misinterpreting that. It, it makes him sec- something less than deity. Uh, and, and it actually intends to delegate him as a created being. So the chain makes Christ a lesser entity in the Godhead, and it makes him something less than true deity. Remember what we said? God is God, and they're equal. So if you make him less than that, he's then less than God. All right? Now, if we consider the Holy Spirit to be something of a lesser God, we do the same thing. So we have to be careful about that. There's only one God. That gets into a big discussion, of of which we, we don't have time for, about how this all works together. But at least I think we'll say some things will help us to understand this working together. But there's only one God. So if anybody says, well, now, wait a minute, you, you believe in three gods. No, we only believe in one. I only believe in one. That's what the scriptures teach us, by the way. Malachi 2 and verse 10 says, uh, have we not all one father? Has not one God created us? Now, I'm going to couple that with creation again a little bit. But, but see the statement that Malachi makes? We have one father. We have one God. In, in Genesis chapter 1, go back there to Genesis chapter 1, and we're, and we're going to go there a couple times this evening uh, to make a couple of points. This is the first time we're, we'll be there. Uh, in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and I'm sure everyone's familiar with this passage. It's not, it's not new to anybody. But I want us to look here. It says, uh, uh, then God said, let us. Do you notice that plurality there? Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created them. Let us... In our, and then it says, in his. Ever notice that? What's in there? Okay. We'll discuss the basis for that in a little bit, if I, if I don't forget it. I hope I don't. We'll discuss the basis of that for, uh, in a moment. But I want us to see that God is spoken of in both the plural and the singular in this passage. In our English translation. But there's a reason for the us and are in that passage. And it has really to do with, with uh, who he is. There's one God, but there are three members in the Godhead. And so I would conclude, if any member of the Godhead is inferior to another member, there's more than one God. I don't see how you can come to any other conclusion than that. There's more than one God. So in being, uh, in being and in knowledge 
in will and power, all three members of the Godhead are one. And by that I mean they're equal. They're one, they're equal. Now, what, what would help us to see that? Well, let's look at John 16, verses 12 through 15. I don't want you to think throughout the entire weekend that I, that I at all try to avoid the context. Sometimes we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the context to make a point. But we don't have time to establish every con- context uh, in, in what we're going to say this evening. So uh, I, I, I encourage you to take notes and, and you know, look over the context, the context more, more closely, uh, you know, a- after... Uh, you've gone home and after you have time to think about it. But what Jesus says here in John 16, and uh, we want to talk about what the Father says uh, or what he says about the Father and, and what he's going to do. And it, the subject here is really unity. And he says, I, I still have many things to say to you, speaking to the apostles, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will teach you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it unto you. What is his point there? He will take what is mine. He will declare it to you. What, what is the point I, that, that he's making there to his uh, apostles? Well, there, I'm, I'm sure there's more to the, the passage than I'm going to say this evening, but at least I glean this from that passage, and it is that the unity of the Father and of the Son and the Spirit are exemplified in a perfect oneness. There's no uh, variation in, in their desire, in their goal, in their purpose, and in their accomplishment. It's all one. It's, it's unity in this passage that, that's being talked about. So uh, I want us to make a little bit of a translation, uh, transition and talk about the, kind of the delivering the message. And what we find is that the message that was delivered was the message of the Father. Various times he said... I will not speak of my own, but I'll speak that which is of the Father. It's of the Father. But what, what we need to conclude or what we need to see is, is the message of the Son was exactly the same. And we also need to see that the message of the Holy Spirit was exactly the same. All of these were in complete agreement. And what we find is the Holy Spirit delivered the same message as the Son, which was as the, the same as the Father. Jesus didn't say the Holy Spirit was going to come and reveal something new to them, something different to them. He's going to deliver all, and there's some things that they were not ready to re, receive or have, but it wasn't going to be any different than the message that he'd already given them. What is the equality of the Godhead? Well, let's go back to the creation. Let's, let's think about the creation. In Genesis 1, uh, 1 and 2, we read, In the beginning, God. 
Not, not a lot of explanation there, is there? In the beginning, God. And in fact, there's so little explanation there that those who want to criticize the Bible often begin their criticism right there. There's, we just don't have enough information. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, what do we have introduced here in, right, right in the very first two verses? God created, and who's present? The Spirit. I wonder how often we overlook that, or we don't think about that. And, and I'm not accusing any of you of doing that, because I think as we study, we, we begin to study. But I just wonder over time, even among brethren, how often we've just over, overlooked that point, overlooked that information. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the deep. I have another passage, and that is Colossians 1, 15 through 18. We're still talking about things of the creation. But in, in Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 18, uh, here's what we read. He is the image of the invisible God. Well, who's the he? He is Christ. You say, well, we're talking about the Spirit, but I'm going to show you that, that, that the Word, as He was in the beginning at the creation, who became flesh and dwelt among us, who we know as Jesus and, and as the Christ, was there in the creation, in the beginning of the creation. And He's part of the let us make man in our image and after our likeness. He's part of that. So what we see here is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created uh, that uh, are created, uh, that things that are, uh, on, uh, on earth and visible and invisible, whether uh, thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, then all things he might have the preeminence. Now, there's some major words in here for us to think about. Um, th this would be, you know, Jesus uh, having an equal part, or the Word having an equal part in creation. But I want you to notice, and th this is just kind of a little bit of an aside, because I, I, I think it's relatively important in the passage, we find him called the firstborn, that he's before all things, and the word preeminence. They're all the same idea. It's the same idea expressed three different ways, that he is before all in these things. And I believe it, it, that they're expressed these three different ways for, for the purpose of emphasis of the, of the very point he's making about his, his part in these things. They are equal in, 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 the, in being. Look at John 1, verse 3. By the way, we're not going to use all the passages that make this point uh, in the Scriptures, but enough of them for us to pull, pull this together and see these things. In John 1, verse 3, 
all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. And I'll just let that fall right there. I, I think it's a good thing for us to see. Okay. Um, all members of Godhead were, uh, are uh, present in creation. And, and what I want us to do for just a moment, um, in Genesis 1 verse 1, what we see is simply uh, God created. Now, I make this point sometimes, and, then, and, and sometimes people, you know, they kind of challenge me on it a little bit. But in Genesis 1 verse 1, God there is Elohim. And that is the, the plural form of God. And that becomes confusing in a way, doesn't it? Because it's the plural form of God. Here's what I, I believe. I don't know if I can prove this. I haven't really had an opportunity to talk to someone who, who you know, reads in, in, uh, in Hebrew or makes that point. But I believe that someone who is skilled in the Hebrew language would read that in Hebrew and they would see right away this is the plural form of God. I don't know how much that would tell them, but I believe they would see that. All right? That it's the plural form of God. And so thusly, the let us and our likeness uh, in the narrative is a legitimate uh, way for us to see that. And, and sometimes critics say, well, in other places, even in, in, the, in the Bible and in the Hebrew, this word is used uh, in, in the sense of simply gods. And they cite passages like Genesis uh, 3 verse 5, you shall be as gods, or Genesis 31 verse 30, and, and a variety of others. That you have, you have, you know, when, when Laban said, you have stolen my gods. But the point is, in the context of what's being talked about, and every time it's directly related to the God of heaven, uh, it is properly translated God, because it is, there is one God with these three entities. Um, so, uh, and I think that's a good point to make with people when we're studying with people. That that's, See, God is introduced uh, in Genesis 1 as to the entirety of God. And although it's not explained, we find the explanation for it in the passages like we have talked about here, here this evening. So, all three are God and all are equal in their existence. They're also equal in will. The Father and the Son are one. And look at John chapter 25, or I'm 10, I'm sorry, verse 25. And what we see in John 10, 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. Now, I, I want you to see the emphasis here. I give them eternal life. All right. I give them eternal life. Um. And they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. And that, that's often quoted. 
But notice he says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So the emphasis is, I and my Father are one. And sometimes people point to the, uh, my Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and we miss who he's greater than. He's not saying, it's not even, it's not even a, a possibility in the passage. He's saying he's greater than me. That's not the subject. It is, it's, he's greater than those who could snatch them out of the Father's hand. All right? And so the all here does not include the deity that he's talking about in, in the passage. But notice he says, there are works that bear witness of me. I give eternal life. No one shall snatch them out of my hand, and they cannot be snatched out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Their purpose and their goal and their achievement is one. You can't take them from, from the Lord's hand. You can't take them from the Father's hand. Okay? So the message of the Father and the Son is one. John chapter 12, verse 44. Then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. By the way, let me just make this little side point. The Jews did not miss this point. When, when Jesus was saying these things, the Jews understood what he was saying. Sometimes we don't, but they certainly did. And that's why they got so angry with him, because he, he was talking about being equal with and being God. And, and that disturbed them. He says... He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me uh, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken, he says, of my own authority. But the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Now, what, what is the point? What is, what is he talking about here? What are we to understand from, from this idea? And Well, we might just back up and then ask a question. I, I, I ask myself questions, and that's how my lessons come out. I ask questions, and then I try to discover the answers. Why does Jesus speak of doing the will of the Father if they're equal? I mean, I've, I've made, a, I think, a pretty big point, and I, and I hope a strong point, to show that they're equal. Why does Jesus speak of doing the will of the Father if they're equal? If he's, if he's fully God, and as we said, God is God. There's no lesser God. Then why does he do that? Well, let me say to you, in his incarnate or his human existence, he chose to be submissive to the Father, not inferior so if we make that transition from saying 
to be submissive to being uh, inferior, we, we make a fatal, a fatal mistake in that. All right? Now, how do we know that? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And I wish I could tell you everything about everything that this passage means. But I've been looking at it for a long time, and I still don't know how always to describe it. But let's read it. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, when I say I don't know everything about that passage, I don't. But I know a lot about that passage. There's a lot of good things in that passage. But what we see is, for the purpose of our lesson tonight, that he says he made himself. That's a choice that he made. We see the same implication in he humbled himself. The same implication in that. And, And so he volunteered, so to speak to become or to make himself as nothing, taking on the form of a servant. That, that's the way the English Standard Version translates that. I, th- I think that's pretty good. And, and the American Standard says he emptied himself. He did that. It wasn't forced upon him. It wasn't taken from him. He volunteered it. He gave it up. So keep that, at least that concept in mind as we progress forward. So, so why does Jesus speak of doing the will of the Father if they're equal? Well, uh, Hebrews 2, uh, 9 and 10 tells us a, a little more. Uh, in, in Hebrews 2, 9, he says, But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. There was a purpose uh, in 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 his form as he was in the form of God in heaven, he couldn't couldn't accomplish the suffering of death. It wasn't possible. There had to be something done. And he said, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Now, there's a certain unison that had to be going on there, wasn't there? And he says, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So, so why? For the suffering of death. That's the short answer. To make the captain of their salvation perfect, he said, through suffering. He, he couldn't do that in heaven. He couldn't do it as he was. So... Becoming as man, he could do that, which would accomplish the purpose of God. And, and by that, I mean all of God, the, the, the entirety. I, I don't know if I'm even saying that right, but I want to incorporate uh, the, the Father and, and the Son and, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. Um, oh, I, I wanted to, to, to 
correlate back to you just just to remind you go back and and just remember Colossians 1 15 through 18 the the sequence of things that we talked about in, in in that passage Hebrews 5 verses 8 and 9 this will be a little easier for us to go back and remember because we just did uh, Hebrews 2, 9, and 10. But we, th- we find that the theme continues here in Hebrews and in verse uh, 8 uh, of chapter 5. Though he, though he was a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all who obey him. Now, I want to throw another little passage in there for us to think about. Jesus allowed himself or came into this position. He became his man, made himself this way. He humiliated himself in doing this. He did this for our benefit. And, And earlier, the Hebrew writer said, by the grace of God, these things were done. Okay? And, and those are very, very important things. But I want to suggest to you that according to John chapter 17, even this situation was only a temporary situation. It was not intended for him to be on the earth as man forever. That's not what it was to, to, to be. Jesus was to be returned to his former glory. And and let's turn to John 17 just uh, you know just to look at that passage for a second. Um, John 17, beginning with verse one. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, "So what do we have here? We have a prayer. Jesus is going to pray." He said, "Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you." See the reciprocal work there? As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sinned. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now... O Father, glorify me together with yourself. You see equality there? Glorify me together with yourself, which, with the glory that I had with you before the world was. What's he saying? I will be returned to that glory that I had before I came. And that glory was the glory of God himself. Uh, you know, I think a very important thing. Well, said so you did all this, but we haven't talked about the Spirit for a while. Now we're going to. The Holy Spirit is also equal in oneness. And what we're told in John 16 and verse 13, he did not speak on his own authority. Sometimes, and, and when I say that, I'm, I'm just going to say, I have done this. I've made it 
in, in some, even though I, I, I knew, uh, what shall I say, academically, that I'm wrong about that. <laughs> I've had the tendency to think because he says he did not speak of his own authority, that he was somehow subjected in authority to the Father. Is that the point that is being made, though? Not in the, the preponderance of the evidence of things that we've looked at already this evening. It doesn't, I, I don't believe it works that way. And, and what I believe he's saying, that he has no independent authority separate from either the Father or the Son. He doesn't have anything that he's going to offer that they're not in oneness on. So he, he doesn't offer anything at all that the Father or the Son do not offer. That's what I believe is being saying. I do not speak on my own authority, meaning that it's not, he doesn't have an authority separate from the Father or, or the Son. And, and I think that then fits into understanding how all these other things work together. And, they, and, 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 and him being one, being one God and the oneness of God. In John 16 and verse 13, it says, However, Jesus said this to the apostles again, When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. And, and again, his own authority being that which is separate from the other. It's not separate. They are one. They're one in union and they're one in unity. In, in what they're doing. You won't find any discrepancy at any place in, in the things that they're doing. So the Holy Spirit is equal in oneness. It's, it's the same type of language that's used of Jesus' role. Say, for instance, in John 12, verse 49. His own authority as being separated from the other because they're not. They're in unity and they're in union. So Jesus says, very similar language, almost parallel language, if you, if you please. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. Jesus' human self did not have an independent agenda separate from the oneness of the, either the Father or the Spirit. We're, we're going to talk a little bit about power a little bit later in our series, but we're going to see that, that Jesus was dependent upon, in his human form, uh, things that were related to the Spirit himself. Uh, John 14 and verse 10, um, he says, You <clears throat> do not believe that I am in the Father, and the fa do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. We're going to find some evidence that also what was in Christ was the Spirit himself. So again, having no independent authority separate from either the Father or, uh, or the Spirit. So the will of God is revealed through the Spirit. Where do you go when you tell people you have to wait for God to tell you what he wants? What's the primary passage you go to for that? Is it not 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 9 through 13? 
I may be mistaken about that. It may not be where you go, but that's where I go when I, when I tell people, hey, you want to know what God's thinking? You have to wait till he tells you. And how does he tell us? He tells us through the Spirit. That's how he tells us. Not, not some miraculous way. He tells us, Paul says, through the word that we speak to you and the things that we wrote. That's how he did that. But it must, therefore, be a unified message. Could you imagine if, if the Father said one thing and, and the Spirit said something else and then Jesus is here and I said, well, I don't really agree with him. Let me tell you this. Can you imagine the mess that would make? Actually, what we would discover is they're not really God, wouldn't we? We, we, we discover they're, like, they're just like men. That's what we, that's what we would discover. Okay? But it must be a unified message of oneness. And let's just go to that passage for a second. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2. As it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the hearts of men the things which God has prepared to them who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? And I like the little, little experiment here. If you'll just give me a couple minutes to do that. I, I like to do this to people. When I, especially when I'm studying with them, we're trying to make this point. I'm thinking of something right now. Does anybody know what I'm thinking about? The truth is, and, and, it, and by the way, if some, some one of the gentlemen spoke up and said, this is what you're thinking and you hit it, I would tell you that's what I was thinking. But I think we could go all night and you would never tell me what I was thinking. Now, I'll tell you what I was thinking. Because you might say, what's well, related to the lesson, something about the Holy Spirit, something about the points he's making. I'm wondering who made that ship back there on the top of that cabinet. You would have never thought of that, would you? The point he's making here is you can't even know what a man is thinking. How can you know what God is thinking unless God reveals it to you? And he reveals it to you through his spirit. That's what I mean when I say, when I tell people, you have to wait until God tells you what he's thinking before you know what he's thinking. Because I have people tell me a lot of times, well, I think God thinks this, or I think God likes this, or I think God likes... Well, the only way you can know is if God tells you that. And that's what this passage is, is at least partially about. What man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So if I read it in God's Word, I can tell you this is what God was thinking because He told those who wrote it down, and when we read it, we can know what He said. I know that. Let's say, even if these passages are seen as portraying submissiveness, the choice to be submissive in a role does not change the equality of the participants. 
And I would use an illustration you may like or not like, but it's a simple illustration. Men and women are equal. They're not superior or inferior. That's a debate for the world. It's not a debate for those who, who see equality in, in the Lord. All right? Um, but God does require, in, in at least certain situations, the submissiveness of women. We can discuss that. We can't debate it, but we can discuss it at, at some other point if you want. But the choice for good women to obey God and be submissive in the roles that he requires them to be submissive in does not make them inferior. And men, if you happen to see women as being inferior because God says something about submission uh, in, in the hierarchy or authority of, of the family, uh, we need to teach you on something else. <laughs> okay? The actual point um, is... Again, that they are in total agreement. Not, not men and women. I'm talking about this idea. If we see them as submissive, even in, in whatever role we might see that, they are in agreement in what, in what they're doing. All right? What is the nature of the Holy Spirit? Well, the nature is that He is God. That is, He's deity. Uh, he has the characteristics of deity. And, you know, when I say, well, what, what passage reveals that to us? I'll try to do this rather quickly, but I want you to think in, in this regard. There, there's no passage that is as clear as John 1, 1 and 2 on the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's about as clear as you can get. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. End of story. That's it. It's not said quite that clearly. Uh, anywhere that I'm aware of in the scriptures, but it's said pretty clearly in passages like Acts 5, 3 and 4 uh, and verse 9. And, and what we read there is, uh, Peter said, and this was in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, where, where they came, lied about what they gave. And he says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? And, and then he says in verse 4, he says, You have not lied to men, but to God. So what's the antecedent there to God in, in verse 4? It's the Holy Spirit. All right? And he said, Well, I'm not sure yet. You know what he says in verse 9? How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? He's keeping it in the same context, isn't he? So we might not be able to say it's as clear as John 1.1, 1, 1, but it's kind of hard to miss the point when we go here to, to Acts 5, 3 and 4. And, and I just raised the question, how could one be less than the other? Now, I admit this. This morning, I'm going over my notes again, thinking, what do I want to say? And I added a couple of charts. <laughs> so we're into that right now. In Luke chapter 1, in verse 35, it, it says that the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you, and therefore also the Holy One who is to be born is to be called the Son of God. Now the point I, I, I'm simply making, there I don't have a chart on this, but the point that, that, I'm, that I want to make here is that the Holy Spirit 
the power of the highest, the Father, and the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in this passage are inextricably connected. They're all in the same passage, having the same weight. And I, I think that's important for us. How could one be less than the other? All right. We can know of his deity by observing the characteristics of deity. He's eternal. He was president of creation, continues to now. And in fact, in, in Romans 8, uh, Hebrews 9, he's called the eternal spirit. He's omnipotent, meaning he knows everything. Uh, he, or, 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 omnipotent means he's all-powerful. Um, the power of God is expressed through the Holy Spirit. And it, it's really shown in uh, the power of miracles, is the power of God, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said he cast out demons uh, by the Spirit of God. Uh, in Romans 15, Paul says his works were confirmed by the power of the Spirit of God. Uh, he not, he's omnificent, and meaning he's unlimited in creative power. Where, where's he, where's he, where was he limited? He's in the creation. He did the creation. We spoke of that several times this evening. Uh, in Psalms 33, he spoke, and it was done. Uh, he garnished the heavens, uh, we're told in, uh, in uh, Job 26 and verse 13. Uh, and, and, and I like that in the old King James. Go, go back to the old King James. Um, and so on and so forth. And then we see um, that he is omnipresent. God is spirit, we're told in John 8, 24. David asked the question, and we'll not take the time to read that, but he, he said, where can I go? Uh, wherever I go, God, God can see me. He says, where can I go from your spirit? That's a rhetorical question. Nowhere I can go to hide from you. And we find that he dwells in the church, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7, and that he dwells in individuals, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. And 20. He's also omniscient, meaning he knows everything. Uh, in, in Psalms 139, I've lost track of where I am. Um, again, he said, Where can I go from your spirit? In 1 Corinthians 2, we noted that uh, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. But I see in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, he said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, in obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you see how, again, they're inextricably connected together again? You can't separate them as we go through the Scriptures. Now, I'm done. Well, almost. I'm just going to leave you with this chart. Here are, the, here, here are characteristics that are ascribed to the Holy Spirit. And you might run right down through there really quick and say, well, you missed this one or you missed that one, and I can add it to it. But this gives us a rundown, doesn't it? Do you notice anything, brethren, in this chart, in a summary of the things that we've said? All of these are attributes that are ascribed to the Father, to God. 
So what conclusion must you come to? So this has to do with the nature of the Spirit. Thank you for listening. Lesson yours. Tomorrow, the Lord willing, I think the next lesson, what is the work of the Holy Spirit? You may have them all memorized, and you may know, know what they are, or you might be surprised that some of the things that the Scriptures say are actually the work of the Spirit that we don't give a lot of thought to sometimes. So we're going to try to do that tomorrow. Thank you for listening.